Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today, Kyle Momstrom is on the mic and has a guest in studio. Kyle, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Eric. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited. I, you told me you have a lively guest today. Who'd you bring in the studio? I do. I have Christina Hess from KR Hess Law here in San Diego. And we've been working with her for a while. So I'm super excited to have her on the call with us today. Yeah, we're going to be chatting about kind of an estate planning 101 strategy in terms of uh, simplification, ease of administration, benefits. We have uh, pending legis- you know, they, they could potentially lower this estate tax exemption down and it's going to be a very busy end of year. And so this is a strategy we're talking to clients about today. So I thought let's bring on Christina because she's the expert. Fantastic. Christina, so nice to meet you. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So Christina, why don't you share us a little bit about your background and who your ideal client is and how long you've been practicing law and all that fun stuff. Sure. Well, I grew up here in San Diego, beautiful San Diego, was gone for 14 years and graduated from UC Berkeley Law School over 20 years ago. Can you believe that? It's been a long time. I was a litigation associate in San Francisco, and my first trial was actually a trust and estate trial. So I got to see when people die and they're fighting, what are the things they're fighting about. And then I spent some time on the East Coast, and then my own father passed away suddenly, and I was his successor trustee. So I had to deal with his estate and his trust. Fortunately, he had a trust, and his real estate was all in his trust, but then there were some things that weren't set up correctly. And more significantly, he really wanted to leave a legacy to his grandchildren, but he died young and didn't get to finish what he started. So I'm super passionate about legacy and setting up the generations for success and building charitable legacies and and things like that. So I opened my own firm in 2009 here in San Diego, had my own practice now for over 11 years. And now I can say I love being a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So in terms of estate tax planning and current legislation, Right. Joe Biden ran on lowering the exemption from the current 11.7 down to three and a half. Bernie Sanders is a fan of the three and a half level. It's kind of getting bannered back and forth at the five level, maybe six. We don't really know where the ping pong is going to land here. But we do know that it is an active conversation right now in Washington and they're thinking about doing something. That's right. That's right. And so real quick for the audience, what is the estate tax? How does it work? Let's set the ground rules so that when we get into the solution, people have some, you know, some basis. Yeah. So the estate tax is the death tax, basically. It's the inheritance tax. So when you pass away, the government allows you to pass a certain amount tax-free. So in the last, since 2018, that number's been $10 million each. And that has an inflationary adjustment, which in 2021 is $11.7 million. So that means every individual... When you die, you can pass $11.7 million tax-free. So if you're married, that's over $23 million. So it's it's less than 1% of the U.S. population. Now here in San Diego and Southern California, we have a lot of one percenters, absolutely. 
And so they're talking about shifting that number. And the House and Ways Committee, they came out with their 818-page report (laughs) (laughs) on September 13th. Just recently, they're they're proposing $5 million. So three and a half has been bantered around. That was in Bernie Sanders, the 99 or 98.5% Act that he introduced earlier this year. They want to lower it. They want... And they want the the marginal tax rate to also go up. So right now, let's say you're over the 11.7. Every dollar over, the government would take 40%. They want to raise that. If you're over 10, it would be 50, 55, up to you know, 65% potentially. So they want to raise the marginal tax rate, and they want to lower the threshold. So you could only pass $5 million dollars tax-free. The new bill, interestingly enough, does have an inflationary adjustment, which is why it, people are talking about six. It's gonna, yep. it's potentially going to land at $6 million each. Well, it's already set the sunset back to six in 2026. You know, what we hear from clients often is, hey, I pay a lot of taxes when I'm working, and I get that I have to pay tax. I'm fine with that. But why do they get another bite at the apple? Right. Right. And that's and that's a big point of contention with a lot of clients is they're like, hey, how do I, you know, and it's often said, hey, the estate tax is something you can plan for. And if you do it well, you don't have to pay the tax. That's not always the case, but you can definitely be proactive about it. And so today we're chatting about ILETS, Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust, and it is a standard among estate planning techniques. So in a really quick Fashion, what is an islet? What is that? What does irrevocable life insurance trust mean? Yeah, and, and like you said, Kyle, these have been around for a long time. It's just that when the exemption went up to $10 million each, a lot of people didn't see a need for them. But I have a lot of clients with islets, older islets. Um, basically, what an irrevocable life insurance trust is, it's a special irrevocable trust that you set up to be the owner of the life insurance policy and the beneficiary. So this is a legal tax loophole that's been around for a long time. And basically, if you have a life insurance policy and you put it into the islet, meaning the islet owns the policy and is the beneficiary of the policy, and then you jump through certain tax I, I, tell, I tell people you have to play by the rules. There's some things that you have to do, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Then when you die, the life insurance policy is not part of your taxable estate. Where right now, if you just, if I just own the life insurance policy and I die, that death benefit is taxable in my taxable estate. Yeah. And that's a, a people are really confused by this. I mean, I talk to clients about this all the time and they're like, wait a minute, my life insurance, my financial advisor, they told me life insurance is tax free. Yeah. What are you talking about? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's income tax free. So it's one of the amazing tax shelters that we do have. The death proceeds will be income tax free, but it is part of your taxable estate. So it goes towards that five million or that $10 million, it's in your what we call the gross estate when someone dies. Yeah, and it, it adds up quick, right? So people that are worth $10 million and they may have a $5 million policy, well, at the end of the day, the IRS looks at it, if you haven't moved that policy out, it's you're worth fifteen. Exactly. That's right. And exactly. so in terms of getting an existing policy out into this trust, what... How does that work? What what do people need to be aware of in that? 
Yeah. So if you already have a life insurance policy, which you've had for a long time and it's just sitting there and it's not in an irrevocable life insurance trust and you're like, oh, well, let's put it into an irrevocable life insurance trust. Unless you sell the policy to the trust and it's a grantor trust, you know, there's all these rules. There's a three-year look back. So if you transferred it, if I had a policy, let's say I had a $5 million policy, got a lot of kids. Maybe that's not even enough, but whatever. I, <laughs> I, I have a $5 million policy and I didn't put it in an eyelid. I wasn't a very good attorney for myself, hypothetically. And I'm like, oh, oh no, the exemptions are going down. We're going to be over. Let's move it into an eyelid. If I die within the next three years, God forbid, but if I died in the next three years, it wouldn't work. So that $5 million would be part of my gross taxable estate. So on the gift out there, though, so this is, generally speaking, I would just preface this conversation with, we're talking about permanent policies, which would be a universal life policy, a variable universal life, a whole life, those types of policies that build cash value. Term policies, sometimes you see them inside of an islet, generally not, because the idea is you want the policy to last your lifetime and actually create the liquidity when you pass away to pay for the estate tax or buy assets from the estate because sometimes it's Ill illiquid assets. And so in the terms of a permanent policy that has a cash value, let's say I have, let's go back to your example, five kids, and I have a, mm, call it $75,000 cash value inside of a permanent policy, I have to gift that policy out. And how do I, how do, I do that? I just move it out there? What what do I need to, what compliance do I need to, to manage here? So are you talking about the gift of the cash? So there yep. is a lifetime gift of the cash value. So you're going to use up, well, let's just talk about the mechanics of an islet, right? Yep. For a minute. And maybe that'll, you know, be a, a work, a, a longer answer to your question. So unless you've prepaid your policy and you have no more premiums, every year premiums do, right, on your policy, and so how the islet works is every year you gift and, and hopefully, ideally, your premium doesn't exceed your annual exclusion. So right now in 2021, we all have $15,000 per person per year that we can gift tax-free. It's called the annual exclusion. So most policies are designed so that the lifetime beneficiaries of the islet, the islet's going to have lifetime beneficiaries. So while you're alive, there's people who are going to be beneficiaries. So every year you gift the amount to cover the premium. So let's say your premium's $30,000 a year for a $5 million policy or something like that. It's $30,000 a year. Let's say you have three lifetime beneficiaries. So in effect, you would be giving $10,000 per beneficiary per year to cover the premium. Yeah. So, so you're doing an annual exclusion gift. Now, th these are the little hoops you have to jump through. So the, the IRS says, okay, well, that will qualify as a present interest to the beneficiaries and qualify for the annual exclusion only if Johnny, Joe, and Sally, have the three lifetime beneficiaries, have the ability to withdraw that gift every year. So you have to give them notice of the gift and usually those are done via what we call crummy letters. It's a crummy letter. Hey, I just made a gift in the amount of $10,000. You have 30 days to withdraw your gift. So then 
you obviously Joey and Johnny and Sally are not going to withdraw their gift or <laughs> the lifetime beneficiaries of the trust could. No, I'm just kidding. But so, so that's, these are the hoops that you have to jump through to make this a tax-free transaction. Perfect. So we utilize, we design the policy and, and often it, it's always a budgetary thing. So it's always a budget. So people design those gifts around their budget and around the number of beneficiaries that they have. So in your case, three beneficiaries, or in the previous case, five beneficiaries, right? You could do 75 grand. Right. Um, a lot of times we'll design the policies where we could skip a number of years. So it's not, it's not always that you have to do it annually. I think a lot of practitioners set it up that way, but you don't always have to do it that way. And so you get the money out, and then it goes to pay for those policy premiums, and now... God forbid when the proverbial bus hits you, that death benefit pays out to that islet, right? Exactly. Now, where, do you have to have special provisions in the trust-owned life insurance? Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that's coming up right now that we were chatting about before the show was, hey, in, in the grantor-non-grantor status of the islet. Yes. And this is a hot topic right now because with the infrastructure bill coming in, and the government looking to raise tax dollars, one of the things that's on the table is the elimination of grantor trust. Yeah. And what are they thinking about doing here, Christina? Yeah, I mean, this would be one of the most significant changes in the estate plan planning arena since, they say, 1986, the last time there was a major overhaul to the tax code. This is a really big deal. If they eliminate grantor trust, because right now there's a multitude of grantor trusts, and what those allow you to do is you pay the income tax as the grantor on the assets, but they're completely out of your estate for gift and estate tax purposes. So that it's a really great way to leverage and get assets out of your taxable estate while maintaining control and further reducing your, your estate. So it in the life insurance trust scenario, it's it's not going to hurt us as badly as in the other types of trust. That's like the death, the death sentence to the idget, the, yeah. in, you know, intentionally defective grantor trust, some of the uh, Cuperts, the house trust, there's all these trusts and they always, people are like, what's an idget? What's, you know, that's, that's another show. We'll <laughs> talk about that in another show if they don't die, because then if they die, then who cares, right? But, you know... <laughs> That we will, estate planning attorneys always have these um, wonderful acronyms for things. But so in the in the islet context, the grantor trust just means the grantor, whoever you know is the owner. You're not the owner, but the the person who got the policy and sets up the trust. That's the grantor of the trust. They're the creator of the trust. And so if they eliminate grantor trust, now what that means is when a grantor. When they, the, what the provision to the tax code is that they're going to add is grantor trust will no longer be outside of your taxable estate. So if you have a grantor trust, and most islets historically, estate planning attorneys draft as grantor trust. If you have a grantor trust, suddenly, if this law passes as of the date of enactment, which could be October, like tomorrow, yep. that grantor trust is inside your taxable estate. So if you had an old islet that was drafted as a grantor trust, all of a sudden, not only any additional contributions that you make would, you know, cause estate tax inclusion, meaning you're going to, your kids and heirs will pay tax on it, but the whole strategy falls apart 
So enter the... So they are grandfathering the, the current... The idea is that they would grandfather the current grantor trusts in. Right? That's right. That's right. There is a grandfather provision. So all the old islets would be grandfathered. They would be okay. They would not be included in someone's but, taxable estate. But what if you make new additional premiums? Right. And that's where we don't know exactly how that's going to be interpreted or the regulations that are going to come out or if, in fact, it's going to be in the final law. But if it is, then you're going to have a portion of your trust which is right. exempt. And then you're going to have a portion that's not exempt, which isn't a good outcome. If the whole reason you're doing this is to provide liquidity to pay tax or to buy out a business partner, you know I mean, there's all these reasons why life insurance is the best thing since sliced bread. So going forward, do you believe most islets are going to be set up as non-grantor? Yeah. So, yeah. so the grantor piece of it with other clients, we always vote for flexibility and optionality. And clients want a few trusts as possible. The nice part about an islet, if you just put life insurance out there, is the ease of administration. So there's no tax filing due because there's no earned income. There's no passive income, right? You get the money out there. You got to do the crummy letters. But other than that, it's a very, very clean transaction. Now it would be, but because People wanted flexibility every now and then they'll put additional stuff in that grant or trust. Like real estate. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I think what will be the new norm, if they pass it, uh, would be a non-grantor islet that is just specifically for life insurance policies. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's a few scenarios that could play out. There's a few different solutions, but that's going to be probably the 80% solution will be a non-grantor islet. Let's say you had an older grantor islet, you could prepay the premiums. Yep. You could, yep. you know, throw a bunch of, use some of your lifetime gift exemption, take it, take it out 10, 15 years, pay it up, put, put enough cash in the islet to cover the premiums. You could, in California, we have a great mechanism where we can actually modify irrevocable trusts without court intervention. If everyone agrees, we have a great pr- way to do that. You could decant the trust and make it a non-grantor trust if you don't want to prepay premiums and you you want to sell. So there's going to be two things. Going forward, new people, non-grantor trust, or some people are talking about using business entities for life insurance. That might be another solution. So going forward, this strategy is still potentially going to be viable. The other thing I should mention, and this wasn't in the House and Ways Committee report, but that doesn't mean it's not going to resurface. Because some of the senators, Sanders and Van Hollen and the people that put forth these bills, once this once this bill gets through the House, it goes to the Senate. Yeah. So it's got you know, and what they wanted to do was limit the amount you could give tax free to a trust each year to thirty thousand dollars. So your example, if we had someone that had five beneficiaries and was doing like annual exclusion gifts fifteen thousand times five, seventy five thousand yep. dollars, they wouldn't be able to do that any longer. It would be thirty thousand max gifting allowed to trust. So that's another thing that's lurking out there. Could pass, might not pass. We don't know. Stay tuned. But that could really impact planning too. So uh, non-grantor trust going forward, and then if you have an older grantor trust with life insurance already in there, then we're we're going to have to address that and how to solve that problem. So let's talk about the ideal candidate right and so mm-hmm. 
We have a taxable side of the estate, which is your house, your IRAs, your cars, all your investments, your business, and then what we call the tax tax sheltered side of the estate, which is what we're talking about, gifting fifteen grand for each beneficiary into this islet, and the islet's on the other side of the of the fence, I guess. So, who are you know the, the Christina and I were talking about it. The issue is getting stuff to the other side, to the tax-sheltered side of the estate, requires loss of control. You can't control it. Right. You can't be the trustee. you got to pick a brother or a sister or a bank or somebody to be the trustee so that you don't control it. Right. And people often struggle with getting a lot of assets over to that side of the estate. Nobody ever, you know, nobody ever... Has ten percent on the taxable side and ninety percent on the tax sheltered side. It's just it you, it you just don't see it because people like control. So, who are these people? Who are the people we're looking at that this would be an ideal transaction for? Because there's lots of estate planning transactions, right? Right. A general theme of hey, this would be appropriate for a fact pattern like this. Yeah, it's a great question, and. I always tell people when they come to me and they have a taxable estate, the first thing that we consider before gifting assets to an irrevocable trust, because that's really, I mean, you can, you can backdoor in control where people could have powers of appointment, or you could do a spousal trust where you get money through your spouse. There's ways, there's a lot of ways to maintain control, but before we even go there, the islet is the first solution that I present to people because it really, I mean, most people, unless you're building up a lot of cash in the policy, most people, the life insurance isn't really something they need to have a lot of control over. So this is for someone who's going to have a taxable estate and they want liquidity to pay the estate tax. So what that means is in your example, you have a business owner, you have someone with, you know, we have so many clients that have so much real estate, their, their wealth is really built through real estate and they don't want the kids to have to necessarily sell properties to pay the tax because the tax is due nine months. The second, the second spouse dies. If you're, if it's a married couple, as soon as that second spouse dies, and there's an estate tax due, it's due in nine months or you start accruing penalties. The The government does not wait. And I'm sure you saw how many billion dollars uh, does Biden want to put. Basically, he wants to increase the IRS's budget by what, 80, 90%. He wants to like increase revenue by going after people, have a huge enforcement division. So that's scary. That's going on too. I know it, it is scary. So yeah. So the the ideal candidate is someone that's going to have a taxable estate. And when you do the math, and that's your your area, right? You do the math, and you say, okay, your policy is going to cost you fifteen thousand dollars a year, but you're going to get two million dollars, you know, over the course of your lifetime. You're paying pennies on the dollar. You're getting that those death proceeds to your kids, so they can pay the estate tax at a discount because the policy isn't costing them as much as the cash that the kids are going to get. It's the leverage factor, right? Yes. And and I, I, you hit the head of the nail there in terms of people with real estate, businesses, getting people like control. And if there's a big macroeconomic downturn and the second spouse dies and then there's a big estate tax due, now the family's forced to go liquidate assets in a not a very good environment right? right when when liquidity dries up and it it does it's ugly 
Yes. And you're selling things at a downturn, right? If you sold in 2008 and 2009, that was a bad time to be selling. I even had to sell something in the Bay Area in 2012 and took a beating because it had that area hadn't yet recovered. Yep. And um, it was painful. So the trust, the islet, creates the liquidity to pay that estate tax. Right. And retain those assets. Could be a family business, right? If you, There is nothing that will tear apart a family business quicker than an estate tax that has to be paid by the sale of portion of the business. Now you have a third-party partner in the business that doesn't see eye to eye with the family. Not an ideal situation. No, no. Right? And it's not like the bank is going to give you a loan to pay the tax, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, Mr. and Ms. Banker, I've got this tax liability. It's not usually one of the, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it's a difficult situation or selling real estate in a downturn or maybe being forced to sell real estate that people wanted to hang on to. The, so there are strategies, and you talked about it briefly there, and some, maybe it's another show on idgits and things like that, where people do transfer the growth of certain things outside of the estate. But if you've amassed a big estate, 30, 40, 50 million, 60 million dollars, you're going to be hard pressed to get that money out of the estate. It's, it's just. Especially if this grantor trust rule goes in, it's going to be even harder because then all the strategies that we've been using are going to be gone. And that's their goal, right? <laughs> yeah, that's their goal. <laughs> that's the goal. They, they want to close the door on a lot of these amazing uh, legal loopholes so that people pay more estate tax. That's the goal. Any final thoughts here? We, I think we covered quite a bit on the strategy. What I was going to say was there are people that once that money's in that estate, Christina, getting that out is very difficult. And there are people that have high wages as well. Yes. And they and they don't have the ability to move assets to the other side through different gifting. So they can't move businesses to the other side. Right. And their income just masses inside their estate. Yeah. And, and so another thing that people may be looking into going forward is going to be qualified S chapter S stock trusts. Yeah. Because of the, you know, you'll be able to pay the income tax because the other thing that's coming down the pike is that trusts, if the, if you have income, a trust is producing income, you're going to be in the highest tax bracket. They're, you know, getting us back to 39.6%. So yeah, so the islet is a really great strategy. Now here's the other thing. It's better to set up the policy when you're younger, if you can, right? Because the younger you are, the healthier you are, the better policy, you know, because you have to, you do have to go through the medical process to get a good policy. Correct. It is definitely more cost effective the younger you get it. It also creates flexibility and optionality. So we tell clients a lot, hey, we're going to set this up today and you're going to revisit your situation 15, 20 years from now. And depending on if your health changes, your wealth changes, there's legislative changes, uh, macroeconomic changes, right? You're going to have options as to what to do with the policy. So you're not just stuck with a policy, right? You can, you can reduce the death benefit. You can sell a policy. You could give it to charity. You can, there's lots of things you could do. You could cancel it if you don't want it. You, you know, you may not like your kids at that time. I don't know. So it happens. So there's lots of options there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's a good point. And then the other thing is, oh, the, there was something I was thinking along those lines, and it just it went it out. slipped. It slipped. It went out the door with the eyelid. But oh yes, here here's what it was. So there's two things. If this if this bill passes, there's two things that everyone is going to want to do. One is they're going to want to look at their old eyelid. I just am modifying an eyelid for a client now, and it turns out it's a non-grantor eyelid. I talked to the CPA, and they're like, "Oh no, it's been, you know, it's been a non-grantor eyelid forever." Great. Sometimes they set them up that way. So you're going to want to look at that issue, and then the second thing is you're going to want to look at your policy because you know have someone like you review the life insurance policy because. My understanding is that terms are better. Everything has gotten better and more affordable. And so a policy you had maybe 20 years ago, you could probably get a better one today. Is that right? Yeah, provided uh, the health lines yeah, up, the right? Health, yeah, right. You yeah. got to still be healthy. You can't be diagnosed with a terminal illness and being like... <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to be able to get your policy there. That, which is the other reason why younger people should be motivated to um, set some of these things up, especially if they think that they could have a tax in the future. Yep. I think it's just a matter of getting the trust set up, getting it set up correctly, and then figuring out the budget is ultimately what happens. And that's a timing thing, too. You've got to do the trust first. Yes. So set up the irrevocable life insurance trust first, then get the policy, have the policy directly owned by the trust, and then it's a great thing. Perfect. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm so happy to have you on. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Eric, what questions you got? This has been incredibly informative. I'm not in that position at this point in my lifetime to worry about that $5 million <laughs> limit. or uh, But, you know, someday I'll get there. But I, I can't believe how you guys are able just to pivot back and forth with with things changing all the time and new laws and new tax laws and all these different changes. I don't know how you keep up with it all. That's what we're paid to do. There you That's go. what we're passionate about, right? Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate it. I think that uh, I know that the audience gets a great deal out of it. Kyle, if somebody wants to talk to you further about this, how do they get a hold of you? Well, you can always go to our webpage, centurawealth.com, get in touch with us. But more importantly, how do they get in touch with Christina? Yeah. So same thing. Go to our website, krhess.com. That's K-R-H-E-S-S.com. And our phone number, you, know, you can reach out to us here in San Diego. Awesome. Well, I encourage everybody to join, to give you a call and address their estate planning needs, Christina, because you're awesome to work with. And Awesome. Well, thank you. And likewise. And thank you, Eric, for being our wonderful host. Oh, yeah. I, I do nothing. I do. <laughs> I'm on the mic. I get to learn with the audience. So that, that's, that's my benefit. Christina, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Kyle, of course, thank you for bringing her on the show and educating all of us on these incredibly important and timely issues. And of course, our last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thanks for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.